He has brought energy. He's brought this winning mentality. Not that the Brewers didn't have it before. He has been part of these Cardinals runs, right? You're ready for these Cardinals runs in August. They're one of the, the great August teams in the history of baseball. Mm -hmm. But Colton knows what it takes to, to grind through a season. He knows what winning baseball is like. Um, and he has just added to the depth in that Brewers clubhouse. And he's got that energy and that just that knack of coming up with big hits and making big plays. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week, fresh from Wisconsin and on the road with the Brewers by Jeff Levering, broadcaster for the Milwaukee Brewers. And first, it's just good to see you in person on the road. Um, what has that been like after calling games from afar last year? Well, first, Eric, thanks for having me. It's it's great to be here in St. Louis. The last time, as we were talking about on the broadcast a little bit earlier, the last time that the Brewers were here, or at least the broadcast team was here, was 2019, and that game was the Ryan Braun Grand Slam in the top of the ninth inning yeah. off of Junior Fernandez, which kind of propelled everything for the Brewers in 2019. So it's great to be back in, in St. Louis. It's great to be back on the road. And after what all the broadcasters have had to do over the last 18 months, the last two seasons, and I know the television side is still going through that, a lot of them at least, um, of the remote broadcasting, it's just so nice to be able to be here in person, describe what you're actually seeing mm -hmm. with your own eyeballs instead of through a camera lens, um, and actually feel what it's like in a ballpark with the fans back again. It's, it's, I never took it for granted before um, being in these major league cities or minor league cities, whatever it was, but certainly now um, having the opportunity to be back and having it taken away for as long as it was, you appreciate it so much more. Can you elaborate on what that? I think you know people who watch the games at home or listen to the game on the radio, they think about it as like, okay, well, you're watching from the same angle. But what do you get from? We're sitting here right now in the press box. Um, for this will be your view of the game. What do you get by choosing your own angle as opposed to relying on the camera feed that they give you? So for, I'll just give you this example. So. Last year, there were a lot of technical difficulties with a lot of broadcasts. And, and for our sake, for the first couple of series that began, all of our timing was off. So we would hear the crack of the bat or the pop of the glove, and then it would take a half a second or a second later until we'd actually see the pitcher wind up. Mm. So we're kind of guessing on what's happening, right? Is it a foul ball? Is it a home run? Is it a swinging strike three? What is it? So then you have to see it and you kind of have to cheat a little bit and delay and being on the radio side we had that ability to just tell it and narrate it as mm -hmm. it came to us yeah. on the television side you're you're lost at that point um so for example we're in the ballpark right now and you're we're watching things and when we were doing remote broadcasting we're at the mercy of what we're seeing and even this year um, the technology was a little bit better but there were some of our camera angles that weren't synced up to what we were seeing so the all nine camera which sees all nine positions you can mm -hmm. see defensive alignments that was usually two to three seconds behind Jeez. the actual action so imagine this you're not in the actual ballpark you got a runner at first base and a guy hits a ball down the right field line right so you're trying to figure out where the runner is going mm -hmm. you're looking at the third base coach to see whether or not he's going to wave the guy around and try and score what the trail runner the batter is going to try and do try and get to third try and get to second while you're trying to watch the relay throw coming in, if the guy's having trouble with it in the corner. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, if you're in the ballpark, you can see all that stuff transpiring. You can look and your peripheral vision allows you to see all of that. But 
when you're not there physically, you're at the mercy of what you see on these screens. So when some of your screens are delayed by two or three seconds, you can get trapped on which runner yeah. is which one, yeah. and then you look back at the live feed and things could get a little bit washy if it's not a very good uh, production team that you're working with and they cut the game differently. So you just kind of have to pause and wait and react to what you see. So. 100% great to see things the way that they transpire live and in person where you can see them. You don't have to try and squint at a camera screen to figure out who the on-deck hitter is because you can actually see them in the on-deck circle. Those are just little, little minor things, mm -hmm. but make our job so much easier. Also, the between, I find that uh, between innings, as you see things happening, like either, you know, there was a little while ago in Pittsburgh where the Cardinals suddenly replaced their pitcher. Right. Well, on site, I could see that. And, and that was very clear last year at the empty ballparks. I mean, it was the, what we were able to see and pass along was, was somewhat of benefit to the broadcasters who would follow us on Twitter or follow reports, everything like that, because we could say, well, this is, you know, this guy is coming into the game all of a sudden, mm -hmm. you know, while, you know, everybody else is at a commercial break, we could see that. Yeah, no, and even even sometimes there's extracurricular stuff. You've got right. ejections that happen in the middle of innings, and you go, what happened? I didn't see what happened because we were at a commercial break, and you're at the mercy of what you see. Like what happened in Miller Park with Schilt charging over to confront counsel. All of that happened out of the line of sight of a camera, but we could see that develop, as I'm sure you did there from that same angle we had there. Um, it's not Miller Park anymore, but it was Miller Park was. back then, so yes. I could say that. Yes, uh, for sure. Um, so, you know, that, that all transpired while the camera was was not watching and it, when it rejoined it was already in progress and so didn't see the buildup mm -hmm. as we did as we saw like you know Schilt's rabbit ears go up like almost like quite literally you saw his ears perk up and then go into the you know the hard charging ram mode right no it's and those are those are all great points and the fact that we're able to see these things transpire and then you can go back and and see the replay and what actually caused all of these different things. It's so much more helpful. And even last year in that instance, because there were no fans, yeah. you could hear everything. But if you weren't on site, you couldn't hear any of the yelling and the bickering and all the other stuff. Um, so another benefit just to being there and being in, in present uh, in that moment. While we talk about just being able to see snippet of things, that is very true when it comes to the Cardinals and what they've seen of the Brewers. They saw them so many months ago that they're quite a different team since then. Um, they were a good team then. Now they look like uh, poised to run away with the division. In the last few months, really three months, w what has happened with the Brewers from the trades made to maybe the the success and um, whatever uh, affirmation of the pitching staff. I'm looking for the right word. I mean, like it's like they 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 got such confidence and just have rolled with it. What are some of the things that you think have really manifested for Milwaukee that's led them to this huge lead? Number one, they learned how to hit again. Like mm -hmm. That was the biggest problem in the first six weeks of the season. And then everybody knew that the pitching staff was going to be great. Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, who was excellent last night against the Cardinals. I think everybody knew that those three guys were going to be the, the horses in the rotation. I don't think anybody could have anticipated Freddie Peralta doing what he has done, mm -hmm. but they knew that he was poised for a big season. And then Burns and what he had done in 2020 and Woodruff has continued to, to scale up since 2018. They expected those two to be really, really great. But the offense in the first six weeks of the season was a mystery. You're looking at this roster, you're going, why are these guys not hitting? They're not playing at the back of their baseball cards. Why isn't Christian Yelich hitting and all these different things? And Lorenzo Cain gets hurt and Colton Wong gets hurt with the oblique injury early, which manifests itself later in the season two. 
And then the Brewers, at the end of May, figure out that shortstop isn't going the way that they want. Orlando Arcia was traded early on in the season in April. He was not the answer. They tried to give him the keys to shortstop for the last few years. didn't work out. They try and do it with Luis Urias for six weeks. He's got some bad throwing mechanics. They decide, you know what, we've been working on this Willie Adamas thing for a couple of years. Mm. We've kicked the tires on it. Let's go make this move. And it finally worked out where Tampa saw these two arms that they wanted to get back. And J.P. Fireisen and Drew Rasmussen, the deal comes up. Wander Franco is right on the verge of making the big leagues at this point. They feels like Tampa Bay shakes a tree, and they've got a new, brand-new shortstop. Yeah. It's the number one prospect. So they part with Willie Adamas, and he comes to Milwaukee, and everything just changed. The offense had more depth. Avisayo Garcia has this opportunity to just be himself. Omar Narvaez continues to hit and just be a different guy than he was in 2020. Christian Yelich has had this slow season, but now he's starting to, to come back a little bit to pre-2018 Christian Yelich. And you just have more depth in the lineup. Early on in the season, if the Brewers didn't score in the first four or five batters, they weren't going to score for a couple of innings. Mm. Now you got one through eight, which put fear into hitters. And you have this cyclical lineup that just continues to churn out hit after hit after hit. And even in last night's game against Adam Wainwright, they've got 13 hits. They've got the bases loaded twice in four innings. They just keep coming at you. And it's these moves, Willie Adamas, now Eduardo Escobar and Rowdy Telez, that have really given this lineup a lot of depth and, and really strikes fear into opponents now. From the Cardinals' perspective, there are two transactions that the Brewers have made in recent years that stand out um, on opposite ends of the spectrum. And, you know, the two years that you mentioned that they were working on the Adamas thing is really interesting because, the, the, I mean, the reality is the Cardinals were in that spot where they wanted to trade for Miami Marlins outfielder. And their preference was to go after Yelich, but they were told time and time again that no, it's going to go through the process. And so they're like, well, could we roll the dice and end up with none, or do we need to bid on Stanton? Okay, didn't get him. Then do we need to go to Azuna? Because that's the order in which they're going to shop. Whereas the Brewers were patient and they waited for the guy that they wanted, risking that they wouldn't get anybody. The Cardinals felt like they could not risk getting nobody from that trio um, or end up going shopping for like a McCutcheon. Right. was the other option there. Um, so they had to move fast at the pace of which the Marlins set, whereas the Brewers benefited from being patient. Then the Adamas thing comes along, and you know the Cardinals preach patience when they needed pitching. I mean, they needed pitching in spring, and that need became acute on May 31st, really June 1st, when Flaherty tears an oblique, and then Carlos Martinez can't really get through a first inning against the Dodgers, and everything just kind of collapsed from there. And they had a need, and they preached patience while the Brewers go out and make an aggressive move that radically changes the division. Um, and it's like these are the two things, like, you know, how does the front office with the Brewers have that pulse and know when to be one of those two things? But it sounds like, and I'm, I feel like I'm giving a monologue, but it feels like uh, the Adamas thing was more of a slower burn than that you know, internally than it, than it looked outside, right? There's no doubt about that. And, and it's been, I, I think the Brewers kicked the tires on a lot of different players and a lot of different ideas. And, and even the Yelich thing before they actually pulled the trigger on it yeah. in January of 2018, I'm sure that they were in conversations with them even before then. So these are the slow burn type of things and you have the relationships and you have the conversations. And then when push comes to shove and the, the other team that's involved 
finally sees something that they like within mm-hmm. your organization that fits to make a deal right, then that's when you make the move. And in the Brewers case with Yelich, that last piece was Lewis Brinson. Right, the Brewers had got him from Texas in the Jonathan Lucroy deal. Right. He had just made the big leagues in 2017. It looked like he was poised to really break out, and the addition of Brinson was the guy that really allowed that to happen. So maybe conversations were happening. Yeah, you don't have enough for us to actually get Christian Yelich in this deal. So maybe we'll try and sweeten the pot, and that's what it did. And I tell you, in, in that deal. Only Lewis Brinson is still, well, well, Isan Diaz is with him too, but Mm -hmm. Lewis Brinson finally, four years later, is becoming something now. Um, Everybody else has gone on from that trade. Monte Harrison hasn't really become what they thought he was going to be. Kansas City kid, Isan Diaz has been okay at second base. So, again, these are slow-burning moves at the time, but, you know, it's funny when when you go back and someone posted on Twitter the other day... um, the day that the Brewers made the trade for Willie Adamas, and Twitter is what Twitter is, right? It's it, it's crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, you get yeah. a lot of information from it, but there's a lot of burning in there too. Um, when the Brewers made that deal, there was a lot of people that didn't like the deal. They went, "Oh my gosh, you're giving up J.P. Fireyes and Drew Rasmus, and these guys have been cornerstones in our bullpen all season long. How can you give up on these guys to get Willie Adamas, who's hitting 197?" So then you go back and you timestamp that from mm-hmm. May 22nd and you see all these responses and you go, well, I guess it worked out okay. Yeah. And again, it's the patience part of it and, and the willingness to go out and do the deal and have confidence that Luis Urias is going to be okay moving over to third base or yeah. playing a little second when Colton Wong is out. That's when Travis Shaw got hurt too a week later. So all of these things transpire and... Craig Council, David Stearns, and Matt Arnold, they just have the secret sauce to make what it, make a great organization run. How quickly did it become apparent, too, that Adamus would be such a personality fit, that he would be such a, I mean, such a battery for energy for this team? So he's got a lot of connections to the Brewers from before. Avi mm-hmm. Garcia was in Tampa before. He had known uh, Rowdy Telez. Well, Telez came a little bit later, but he knew Omar Narvaez and Freddie Peralta and all these other guys. And you heard... When he came, all these teammates said, oh, my God, he's going to be great. You're going to love him. He's going to be a lightning rod. And then he shows up in Cincinnati. He gets a base hit, and Luis Urias happened to be moving over to third base. He gets a big hit in the ball game, And the first guy off the, the dugout bench and on the field to congratulate Luis Urias is Willie Adamas. It was his mm. first day there. Yeah. You're going, man, he doesn't know anybody. So why is he the first guy off the bench? It just went to show his leadership abilities, um, the ability to get in there and just assimilate so quickly, um, and that was kind of the first moment, and then he shows up and gets a couple of big hits at, on the next homestand, and it was, sky's the limit for this kid. For so long, one of the most impressive things about the Brewers is what Council did with somewhat of a patchwork Island of Misfit Toys pitching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, cobbling together short starts and then the innings to kind of get through to Hater and whoever they had to kind of close out games, playing matchups, you know, going once through the order at times with the starter, whatever he had to do to kind of maximize a pitching staff. So how different has this been for him where he's got kind of a classic rotation and what does that allow him to do pitching-wise now with not just trying to get by creatively but to get through dominantly yeah it's he's not counting outs anymore like back in 2018 you had Yoli Shasin running out there and Wade Miley and then Brandon Woodruff for a little while and then he gets hurt and so he's on an innings limit towards the end of the season 
I think this year he's just sitting back and watching and having a lot of fun. He doesn't have to sit there and go, okay, he might get us 15 outs, mm-hmm. and then i got to get the next 12 and see where we go from here. I think that, that he is, at, at this point, with what he has out there on the starting staff, he sits back and he watches the game, and at any given moment where he thinks there might be some stress or what might be happening, he sits back and he looks and he says, is the guy on the mound right now going to get this out or is somebody in the bullpen going to be better to get that out? And more often than not, it's usually the guy that's out there starting. And in that moment, would you want Corbin Burns out there as opposed to somebody in that bullpen? Probably, if it's the fifth yeah. inning or sixth inning, or Brandon Woodruff or Freddie Peralta. And if you're late in a ball game, then you've got Devin Williams or Josh Hader or Brad Boxberger, who was not even on the on the opening day roster for the Brewers this year, or even a Jake Cousins, who the Cardinals haven't seen yet. Um, I think Counts is really enjoying the fact that he's got three big horses out there that he can run out there. And even the guys that, that have not been the main contributors, but kind of the, the auxiliary staff, Brett Anderson, Eric mm-hmm. Lauer, and Adrian Hauser, they've they've acquitted themselves extremely well, and they've earned the trust of Craig Council too. Yeah, the three starters that appear in the series of Bush between the Brewers and the Cardinals all seem to have ERAs receding to the horizon. They get smaller and smaller with like each day. Um, at the All-Star game, Brandon Woodruff and I talked and he said you know you just expect the Cardinals to make a second half run that's just something that they do and he said I've seen that since I was a kid watching baseball and now I deal with it in the division but he made an interesting point too about how they were entering this uncharted water of workload Mm -hmm. and what would that mean as their numbers started to get up innings wise to twice you know three times what they pitched last season and how would that look how has it looked? It doesn't seem to have slowed them down at all. And does that speak to how they prepared for that early? Or are they still kind of, fingers crossed, hoping that it works? I think it's a good combination of both. Um, I I think that their preparation, all these guys, their preparation is top-notch. Corbin Burns is like a different human being in terms of his preparation uh, as opposed to anybody else that I've ever seen. Uh, but but workload is still a thing, for, and for most of the season, they've operated on a six-man rotation. Um, so you've you've only had a handful of starts where these guys are on four days rest. Mm. And even the Brewers, at, going into the All-Star break, they played 33 games in 34 days. So the second half of the season, you get more off days to work in there. You can pitch on some more rest. Again, you've got that six-man rotation. But the innings are, it's a concern, there's no doubt. And for Freddie Peralta, he has never thrown this many innings before. Last year, he was all out of the bullpen. 2019, he was a starter, he was a reliever. His innings were very limited. For Corbin Burns, he barely pitched in 2019. He basically pitched a month, and then he was doing the minor league thing and kind of bouncing around out of the bullpen. And for Brandon Woodruff, he's been hurt. He's had some injury problems that have sidelined him in the middle of seasons, really good seasons. So you are still trying to manage those innings. And I I do think that the the six-man rotation, um, and depending on what happens here in the division, you might skip a start. Of course, Corbin Burns had COVID, so he missed a whole 10 days, missed Mm -hmm. two weeks of time. Freddie Peralta, they backed off after the break. They're they're giving these guys some extra rest. The innings are going to be a concern, but they're a concern for everybody. That's not just a Brewers thing. That's a baseball thing. What do you mean by Burns? Could you describe what you mean by Burns' preparation and how intensive it is? Because I can't imagine, like, 
Like they were talking yesterday after he pitched about how difficult it is to be in the box with that cutter, the power cutter, just mm-hmm. the buzzsaw that comes in. And just the idea of how aggressively and assertively his pitches are and his presence is on the mound, how that translates to preparation. I mean, he looks like a thoroughbred out there. Yeah. His, just the trunk of his body is massive. Um, you know, he, he has, since 2019, when he, he got out of the gates and the Brewers thought that he was going to be the, the next Brandon Woodruff, right? He's on that that path. He had pitched in his big league debut in 2018 out of the bullpen. was very good uh, towards the tail end of the season and in the postseason, but things just didn't work for him. He didn't know how to harness some of his stuff, and and more of it was mental. It was mm-hmm. mostly a mental thing. So he needed to, to go see a sports psychologist. He's going to see all these other people to, to just try and harness who he is as a person. He'd go out there and he'd throw a pitch that he didn't like on a 2-0 count and he'd go 3-0. and And he would go take a lap around the mound and start screaming at, each wow. at himself and get into his glove. And he's slamming stuff when he gets into the dugout. He just needed to take a breath. And I think seeing all these people and going into the pitching lab in 2019 down in Arizona and getting in touch with who he is and settling himself down was was most of it. And now he's at a point where, okay, he's pitching on Tuesday in St. Louis. The Brewers have an off day on Monday. The dude loves playing golf, but he's so locked in on the preparation of this is who's in the Cardinals lineup. This is who I need to see. I don't care about what's going on around me. I'm just going to lock in on what I need to do to be successful. Um, and his preparation starts the day after he, wow. he starts a game. He, he's just a machine like that now. What has Colton Wong brought to the, uh, the personality and also the pitching staff? of the Brewers. I, I don't think the Brewers have had a second baseman play this well defensively since Jim Gantner. Um, wow. You know, even ahead of Vina. Wow. Yeah, I mean, Vina's great. Yeah, Vina's yeah. great, too. But, I mean, Gumby was a great short, uh, great second baseman, too, over his time in the in the 80s and early 90s and even the late 70s, too. But I, I think that there's a, a big trust level with him yeah. playing at second base, and you know he's going to make the plays. You know he's going to be in the right position. And, you know, a guy who has seen him since 2012, because I had him in Springfield when I was yeah. with the Cardinals, he wasn't like this defensively. He wasn't. He was good defensively, but he was not elite defensively. He was a better hitter than he was a defensive player. He has worked to get to this point. Um, he has brought energy. He's brought this winning mentality. Not that the Brewers didn't have it before, because it's a team that's gone to the playoffs for three straight seasons, the first time and that's happened in Brewers franchise history. He has been part of these Cardinals runs. Right, like Brandon Woodruff was telling you about, you're ready for these Cardinals runs in August. They're one of the, the great August teams in the history of baseball. Mm-hmm. But Colton knows what it takes to to grind through a season. He knows what winning baseball is like, um, and he has just added to the depth in that Brewers clubhouse. And he's got that energy and that just that knack of coming up with big hits and making big plays. The longer I do this podcast, and the more I think, okay, these are the segues that I'm going to go down. The more often I have a broadcaster as a guest who beats me to those segues because oh. I wanted to use Wong to lead into that time in Springfield because yeah. also Schilt was, yeah. was a part of that and I, I wanted your perspective on now you know you've seen him from that level and what he was like at that level as a teacher mm-hmm. and a motivator and a guy who would drive and also had to make some tough discipline decisions mm-hmm. there that were for the development of the player um, had to deal with some egos as well um, had to nurture talent, 
to now being at a real bottom line game where he's got to win, yeah. um, and just your perspective of what you've seen him do as a as a as a manager prospect to now a manager major leaguer. Yeah. So when I got to the Cardinals organization in 2010, Mike Schilt was the Johnson City manager, mm-hmm. right? So he was there for his first year in 2010. Maybe it was his second year, and he was basically running spring training, right? And everybody talked about Schilty and. And, you know, he, he's running through the, the lower levels of the, the program with the Cardinals. And, you know, I, I got to know him a little bit. And then he, Pop Warner leaves and goes to Memphis. Yeah. And Schilt goes from Johnson City, low A, Appy League, to double A Springfield. And you go, wow, wow, the Cardinals really must think something about this guy, that they're going to move him three levels, basically. Yeah. So when I finally had an opportunity to, to meet Mike and talk with him and get to know him a little bit. And our staff basically has been here in 2012, has been in St. Louis, you know, with Pop and Brian Eversker, the bullpen yeah. coach, our, was our pitching coach, and Schilte. Um, getting to know all these guys and, and for Mike, that 2012 team was special in Springfield. They had a great pitching staff and guys that ended up being part of that World Series run in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Oscar Tavares, who was who was in Springfield and has since passed, and Colton Wong and Greg Garcia, and the list goes on. Um, you you learned really quickly that these guys wanted to play for Mike, mm. and he made it easy on them. He's always been the player development guy. Get out there early, get your ground balls in, do your stuff, get your work in, so that you can have fun playing the game. But you got to get the work in. He still does that here in St. Louis. And I think at the core of what the organization is in St. Louis is what Mike's all about. And you know, he's been, he's been a big John Moselock guy for his entire career. Those two guys are tight. There's nobody more perfect to run this team than Mike, who knows the organization from top to bottom. He could go down to somebody which is in the Gulf Coast League, which is not the Gulf Coast League anymore. It's like Florida, East, whatever it is. Complex League. Complex League, right, yeah. whatever it is. But he would know players' names. Yeah. How many managers at the big league level know those guys' names? Not many. But that's just to the character of Mike Schilt, to how much he knows the organization, to how much he wants the whole program to succeed and, and it started for him very very early on that's a pretty remarkable pipeline as you mentioned you got you know Wong and Adams and Rosenthal and Carlos Martinez um, Schilt and you yeah. all from that double-a team up to the uh, up to the majors now I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you here um, about being in Milwaukee yeah. and the chance to call games with Euchre yeah. and what that experience has been like it's. I mean, I don't think your podcast is long enough. Um, <laughs> we can do part two in Milwaukee. Yeah, it's fine. No, it's 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 a treat. Uh, when I first got to Milwaukee in 2015, after eight years in the minor leagues, um, my job was not to work with Bob. My job was to fill in when he would not go on road trips. So I probably did 60 games my first year. But some of my favorite moments were when Bob wasn't on the air that first year. And Joe Block, who was my partner then, would take yeah. over the play-by-play. He's now in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And I'd sit in the back row with our engineer, and Bob would just, he would leave the broadcast and just stand next to me, and we would just talk. We would talk baseball for those three innings that he wasn't on the air. Those are some of my more favorite moments in in my lifetime. And even just sitting at the table in the back of the booth having dinner and having him share stories and, and learning all about his life and all the crazy stuff that he has done from playing baseball to broadcasting baseball to Mr. Belvedere and hosting Saturday Night Live and the Miller Lite ads and all the great stuff. Um, It's been a real treat. And then in my second year, 
I become his partner. So I'm working with him whenever he's doing games, and it's it's just so fun to have him go from talking about a 2-2 pitch in a, some innocuous game in June to having him start reciting the lines of the song El Paso. And you're <laughs> like, what? This doesn't even make sense. How is this segue? But he weaves it in so beautifully and so perfectly. And I, my job to play the straight man is just peel those layers of that onion and, and ask questions and make him dig deeper on those stories. And that's when we have a lot of fun. And it, it's been a real treat to work with a guy like that, a Hall of Famer in every sense of the word. Um, it's been amazing. It really has been amazing. Well, I'll, I'll take you up on it if you'll allow me to talk again in Milwaukee because these teams face each other a lot. <laughs> we'll see if the Cardinals have that run in them that the Brewers are predicting from them and the Cardinals really want. They got their pitching back together. In a lot of ways, the Brewers have had the season the Cardinals imagined. You know, an aggressive move to make them better um, at some point in time, but a pitching staff that they could count on. Jeff, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for telling the stories, and, and I'll talk to you not at Miller Park. I'll get it for the new name of the ballpark by the time I get there. Thanks a lot. You got it. We'll see you at American Family Field next time. There you go. American Family Field. I'll say it like 20 times and get it right. Thanks again. You got it. Imagine your home totally organized. Closet by Design of St. Louis can help you get organized with 40% off plus an additional 15% off and get free installation. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN today. That's 1-800-BY-DESIGN. Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. You can find the best podcast in baseball anywhere you get your podcasts. It's also available on stltoday.com along with all of the constant Cardinals coverage. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. This has been the best podcast in baseball. Talk to you soon.